0: to have you with us for this hour-long edition of College Football Live on National Signing Day. Historically, a very big day on the college football calendar as programs retool and look toward the future. And of course, after the year we've had, everybody ready to look toward the future. I'm Wendy Nix, and the gang's all here. We've got you covered as we take a look at some of the notable signings that have happened throughout the day. If you take a look at ESPN's uh, signings today, the top 100 recruits, offensive linebacker Rayshon Davis. He's headed to USC cornerback Avante Dickerson heading to Oregon and wide receiver Destin Hill will take his talents to Florida State. A little bit different now that we have the early signing day in December, so a reminder, Alabama, a top three class every year since Saban has, has been there. They are looking for their seventh number one class in the 16-year history, more than double any other program. The ACC had three of the top 11 recruiting classes after December signing period with Clemson, Miami, and North Carolina. This will be the first time since 2018 the ACC has had three teams ranked in the top 15. Ohio State, the only Big Ten team ranked in the top 10 of this year's recruiting rankings. They are expected to have the conference's top class, a mark they have held nine of the last 10 years, another big year in Columbus. And the fourth-ranked recruit in the country, number one defensive tackle J.T. Tui Moloau, it will practice that is one of just 13 five star recruits in this year's ESPN 300. He's the only one who remains unsigned a, a different day for all kind of reasons. Not only because we have that early signing period, but also, of course, because we've been operating uh, in a worldwide pandemic where recruiting has changed. Luke, what were the particular challenges of signing uh, you know, these players during this time this season?
1: Well, Wendy, I I feel for the coaches and the players and the staff members alike. I think it was a cycle that was, you know, loaded with missed opportunities. Now, of course, as underclassmen, have many of these prospects been on the campuses before in an unofficial capacity? Yes, likely. Maybe even participated in camps? Likely. But for the majority of the groups and players in this class, many of them have signed on the dotted line without maybe even meeting the head coach face-to-face or the position coach face-to-face. Didn't get a chance to participate in summer camps, which is such a huge part of the evaluation process. No on-campus recruiting in the spring uh, for coaches to go out on the road and and ask all of the right questions, try to uncover all of the red flags. So I think it was a cycle of risk, and we're going to see over the next 15 to 18 months just how risky it ends up being. And again, this is going to trickle down to the 2022 class because, of course, now the evaluation process for that class, Craig, has been delayed.
2: Yeah, talking to coaches, I think that is what they are most worried about because you mentioned, Tom, The recruiting process has become so accelerated that maybe they felt like they had a good feel for the overall class, but they haven't established those relationships yet with the 2022 prospects. But another thing to consider, too, from the recruiting standpoint, from a coach's standpoint, is not every state this year played high school football. So that really hurts some maybe potential late bloomers. So I think what we're going to see down the road, and the transfer portal is really beginning to kind of bubble up and become a big part of recruiting as well. But I think you're going to see some players who fell through the cracks this year and in a year or two kind of come through at the group of five or maybe FCS level.
3: And I think, too, Craig, one thing to keep an eye out are the coaches that are clearly established with an established pedigree of winning, with an established amount of credibility in sending players to the NFL, they had a significant advantage because, yes, while some schools might be able to make inroads, they do so usually by creating relationships. And if those relationships haven't been created because a guy hasn't been able to go to campus and meet with his position coach face-to-face, and they're gonna rely on what is factually available. And what's factually available are the teams that win at a really high level and win championships and go to the playoff every year and send a lot of players to the NFL. Those are the places that are gonna be basically the place where everyone's gonna try to flock to, and that was the case this year. I was surprised, frankly, by how little it became about geography and how much, Luke's, it became about pedigree and established culture for a lot of these programs.
1: Yeah, and so much of that revolves around perceptions. How how does a prospect perceive a program? And if you can't get on the road, uh, you can't take a visit, you don't have face-to-face contact with coaches, Everything then is about perception. And then, you know, to follow up on some of those usual suspects, the Alabamas, the Ohio States, the Clemsons, and and a, and a wealth of others, You've got tremendous resources within those programs, and the resources that are afforded to your graphics, your internet department, your virtual department are so important because you had to present to the prospect over the course of the last 10 months in a way that you've never had to before. So how much resources do you have in those areas compared to some of your competitors to put forth your best effort?
0: And you know what, guys, I think what we are seeing in college football is similar to what we're seeing in all kinds of industries during this pandemic, and that is uh, the veteran established situations are winning out when you're younger, when you're trying to build those relationships. It's just harder to do in a virtual world. Uh, You know, we can do a lot of things, uh, but nothing takes the place of that. If you're asking yourself why signing day matters, well, listen, historically speaking, it does, uh, or recruiting certainly does, as you might understand. Take a look at what it's meant. Each of the past nine national champions had a four-year average recruiting rank in the top 10. They are bringing in the most talented players. In fact, this season, Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson Three of the four playoff teams all had a four-year average rank in the top ten. Speaking of ranking, another top 50 recruit will let us know live right here. Well, he'll be playing on Saturdays. The number five defensive tackle, Taiwan Malone, tells us where he's headed coming up next.
4: college football live
0: is brought to you by dishorno it's not delivery it's dishorno Welcome back to College Football Live on National Signing Day. We're going to go live to Tywine Malone. In just a minute, he's going to tell us where he will be playing next season. But, Lukes, first, before we do that, give us some perspective and context, a scouting report, if you will.
1: Uh, well, this is a very active and disruptive defensive front player. And, you know, those guys aren't growing on trees, Wendy. Everybody's trying to get as many defensive linemen and establish depth as you can uh, to be a dominant force up front. He's got length. He can run his short area quickness off the ball is really impressive when you consider his size. And I think maybe the most important thing about him is that there's still a high ceiling for development. He is far from being a finished product. So there's a lot to work on. And you see the movement skills, you see the length, the ability to bend, and the flexibility. I'm really excited about this guy, Wendy. I think he's going to be a really good one at the next level.
0: All right, Lugs, and we're certainly excited to see where he will play. And Taiwan, uh, we're going to send it out now to Taiwan Malone, who's there with his family. And Taiwan, before you tell us where you're going, I have to tell you I love this day because there's so much excitement. You've worked hard to be here, and you're moving on to the next level. So uh, without further ado, I will hand it over to you. Where will you play college football?
5: Thank you. Well, first, I just want to say I to thank God for blessing me with the talents and opportunities to play the sport that I love. Thank you to my mom, my dad, and my sister for their love and support, to Coach Vito and Coach Majel and the entire BC brotherhood. Thank you for pushing me to be better every day. The lessons I learned, I will carry with me throughout college and beyond. Thank you, Coach Gould, Coach Bellamy, and, and Will. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be in the situation I'm in today. Finally, thank you to all the coaches and the universities that have built a relationship with me throughout the process. I am thankful to have gotten to know you and appreciate the opportunity to play for your respectful program. With that being said, I'm excited to announce that I am 100% committed to play at the University of Mississippi.
0: Wow, look at there. Uh, so, uh, you're headed to Ole Miss, uh, so much to be excited about, but Taiwan, I have to ask you, I mean, it was, you know, it was a different kind of recruiting season. Everything was done virtually. I don't know if you had a chance to be on campus or, or meet with the coaches, probably not. What was it about Oxford that made you know it was the right place for you?
5: Um, just the coaching staff. Um, I fell in love with Coach Kiffin and Coach Parkers and Watson. Um, we've been talking for a while ever since we began of the recruitment. But for me, it was really a baseball part of things. Um, I was mostly, I always dreamed of playing baseball at the next level, and I feel like Ole Miss was the respectfully right place for me for baseball and football. And so that's why I picked them.
0: Wow! All right, Taiwan. I have to ask you one last question. Did you you picked your outfit? What What about the bow tie? It's going to fit right in where you're headed. I'll tell you that.
5: <laughs> Thank you.
0: All right. Well, congratulations to both you and your family. And Luke's we'll go back to you since you gave us the initial scouting report. Uh, what do you make of the fit with this old Miss program?
1: Well, I, I think in the SEC, if you're going to close the gap with the, the league's elites up front, you're, you're Lane Kiffin and you're saying, all right, we can get quarterbacks, we can get wideouts. But this is where we've got to add some stability and we've got to improve our roster, not only in terms of depth, but in terms of talent, if you hope to compete for an SEC West title. And so a huge piece of the puzzle in what has been, I think, Craig, a a huge cycle for Ole Miss in the first full recruiting calendar for Lane Kiffin, although it was during a pandemic.
2: Yeah, you know, Lane Kiffin gets a lot of accolades for that high-powered offense. But, Tommy, tell me the last program in the SEC that's won without dominant players along the defensive line. This was a crucial pickup for the continued growth of that program on the football field. And it's also deserved a hat tip to the baseball coaching staff. You heard Taiwan mention that. Baseball was a big part of his decision. He intends to play both sports in college, so that baseball staff certainly chipped in and played their part as well in a situation where he never really got a chance to visit with the coaches on campus. He did go unofficially on his own where he could walk around but no contact with the coaches just to try to get a feel for Oxford, but they did a really nice job under difficult circumstances to get an impact defensive lineman.
0: And Craig, you know what, sometimes you ask the question, what made you decide, you know, where you're going where, what made you decide, and you get sort of a generic answer. That was very specific to your point that it had a lot to do with baseball as well. So again, uh, Taiwan Malone heading to Ole Miss, he'll play for Coach Lane Kiffin. We often talk about the rich getting richer during this recruiting season, and sometimes that happens. That has certainly been the case over the years Uh, in Tuscaloosa. Nick Saban has done such a tremendous job. Uh, with recruiting and now I mean how I wouldn't call it easy but he can certainly point to his resume to what this program has accomplished Uh, and I I just don't know what the counter argument is there Luke's you know what what more can you say or, or, or what what do you say about Alabama's recruiting process
1: well, I think the one thing that stands out to me the most is it's one thing to build a program it's an entirely different animal to sustain one, particularly at this level of success. And when you have a lot of negative recruiting tactics, uh, we all saw the video of Nick Saban and, and, and his recruiting pitch, which really wasn't a pitch. It was just a statement of the facts. Uh, you're having to do that all the time because you are the premier dog. You're at the top of the mountain. And I think the emphasis on player and person and then most importantly, the impact premium positions, quarterback, corner, offensive line and defensive line are the pillars of this program and why they've established excellence in Nick, uh, Nick Saban's tenure.
3: When you look at, at just how everything was structured this year, Nick Saban is the king of efficiency. And when you don't have to get on an airplane, you don't have to get in the car, you don't have to travel from place to place to visit every single recruit on your little recruiting tour, guess what, the volume and the amount of players that you can see over the course of a few month period, it goes up drastically. And when Nick Saban's able to present the facts like Luke just alluded to, hey, We have this many national championships. We have this many players in the NFL. When you're at practice, you're going to be going against this guy who's going to win the Butkus Award. He's going to win. He's going to be going against this guy who's got the Bolitnikov sitting on his shelf. It's an easy sales pitch when you're not having to rely as much on the relationships and relying more on what you've already established and Nick Saban has more ample opportunities to talk to these recruits more times than he would in a normal recruiting calendar. Uh, I think it's set up really well for Alabama, and there's a reason why they're the number one team in the class.
6: Yeah, I I think both of you guys are right, and Tom, you're you're exactly right. It's not a recruiting pitch. At some point, it's just facts, but I think something that often gets overlooked with Nick Saban and Alabama, yes, they're landing five stars. Yes, they're landing elite level prospects. They've got 13 top 100 recruits in this class, but managing those egos, managing those players on the roster we don't see a ton of alabama players in the transfer portal managing them and then developing them into nfl prospects that is a tall task when you have that many top prospects in one team so i think he, he deserves credit for that as well
0: Yeah, there's no question. And I said this yesterday. It's worth repeating. It's unfortunate, I think, that that video was leaked. But at the same time, it was fascinating to have a little bit of peek behind the the curtain, if you will. And it he just stated the facts. I mean, that's, that's all there is to it. Uh, we've got plenty more to get to, including another live announcement, but also a reminder, uh, we will soon debut our next 30 for 30 film, uh, Al Davis versus the NFL. It looks at one of the greatest NFL rivalries between former Raiders owner Al Davis and former NFL commissioner Pete Rosell, who clashed for some three decades, nine Eastern, six Pacific on ESPN and the ESPN app. And as promised, you're looking at ESPN 300's number four safety. It's a party. And with good reason, on Arnold, he'll make his signing day announcement coming up next. Hi, guys. College well, well live continues on this national signing day. This is as of 4 o'clock this afternoon, 4 o'clock Eastern. Uh, the recruiting classes, you can see some usual suspects at the top Alabama and Ohio State. Uh, the Clemson Tigers rounding out at number four. Uh, but we've got another announcement. Perhaps we can change this. We're going to go live now to Tallahassee, Florida, where Terion Arnold is standing by to tell us exactly where he'll play college football. He's got his whole family there. on congratulations. No matter where it is, I'll hand it off to you. Where are you going to play?
4: Okay. I would like to take this moment to thank you all for being here and tuning into my signing. Mark 9, verse 23 reads, All things are possible to him who believes, and I have imagined this moment since I was a child. And this moment is even better than I imagined. I would like to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for putting me in the position to glorify him and honor him. I would like to thank my immediate family, my mom, Tamela, my grandparents, Terry and Tammy, my uncle, my uncle Pat, and my auntie who flew from California to see me. Also, I would like to thank my brother, Leon, my little sister, Johnna, my cousin, T3, and the rest of you all, you know who you are. Next, I would like to thank my JP2 family, my principal, Mrs. Cope, my guidance counselor, Mrs. Bayless, my teachers, and Mr. Biggs the maintenance man, I am in mean the maintenance supervisor who I work hard with almost every day and learn that no one is above one another. I would also like to give a huge thanks to Coach Travis and Coach Cornegade for helping prepare me for the next level. And most importantly, I want to thank Coach Ed Hill, the rest of the coaching staff, and my teammates, or better yet, my brothers. I would like to thank my great grandma who couldn't be here with us today due to COVID, but I know she's watching at home. Great grandma, I just want to I just want to thank you for being there, praying with me, and giving me that extra encouragement to go even when I felt like I couldn't no more. Lastly, I would like to thank all the schools that recruited me and supported me throughout this journey. It has been an amazing journey and life-changing experience. But without further ado, the moments you all have been waiting for. For the next three to four years, oh, for the next three to four years, I will be attending the University of... Alabama.
0: <laughs> wow, Terrion, the bait and switch there—I I like it. Uh, listen, you just—you just heard us talk about Nick Saban and the recruiting process. Uh, what was Coach Saban's message to you, Terry on?
4: Uh His message to me was says. Um, Why not come to a winning program? Uh, The competition level there, it's high level competition. And if I feel like I'm one of the best players in the country, why not go and compete with the best? Yes, sir.
0: Have you you had a chance to spend any time in in Tuscaloosa?
4: Yes, sir. I mean, yes, ma'am, I was there a couple of times. All
0: right, well, we look forward to watching you on Saturdays. Congratulations to you and your family. Uh, it's a big day, and listen, you saw that class. You're part of the top recruiting class in the country. That's got to feel pretty good.
4: Yes, ma'am, it does.
0: All right, Luke's, uh listen, we we did this before. Let's do it again. Uh, <laughs> tell me where on fits in when you think about the Alabama uh, roster sta- standing right now.
1: Well, one of the things that I, cre- I think creates so much value is we have him at the safety spot, but when you watched him develop throughout his high school career, He's not only scheme versatile, he's position versatile. This guy played on offense, he's played on defense in a variety of roles, and he brought up something that I think is very important, and that is the environment of competition. And it's everywhere, but at Alabama it is something that if you're not prepared for it, you will get weeded out very, very quickly. And one of the areas that I think is a strength of Arnold's is his competitive temperament in the back end on defense. And I think that's something that he doesn't shy away from. I think it's something that he embraces. And, again, the positional versatility is something that you got to love as a coaching staff.
2: Yeah, Tom, this Alabama class is impressive with the offensive line haul, the wide receiver haul, and now you got to include the secondary as well. They have two top ten safeties committed with Arnold coming on board, the Sergeant Quincy McKinstry as well, better known as Kool-Aid, Who's one of the top corners in the nation? They also got a commitment from the number one ranked junior college corner. So this is an outstanding group in that defensive backfield to continue to build that group. And you're right, Arnold's his overall athleticism is what is impressive. In a camp setting, he tested a 4-1-5 and a short shuttle, the 5.105, 5 showing great foot quickness and change of direction. Also could be a factor in the return game as well.
0: Well, not only has Alabama dominated in the recruiting process with good reason, as we've previously established with the SEC as well, really just racking these guys up. They continue to be a powerhouse across the college football landscape. Uh, One part of this that's interesting, I talked about early signing day in December, but there's also now the transfer portal, lugs, and and we can explain a little bit about what that is, but it changes uh, the way you look for players and certainly another place you can find quality talent.
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting because you can't talk about the transfer portal without tying it to the extra year of eligibility. And when we start to consider the, the numbers crunch, you're allowed to be over 85 for one year and then you got to get back down to 85. So where are these schools going to place their scholarships? Where, who's going to get the short end of the stick? The numbers will tell you right now it's the junior college level. On this day a year ago, there were 300 players, a little over 300 players that signed at the junior college level. Today, there's gonna be a little over 100, and that's a shame, it really is. So the attention is being placed on the transfer portal, uh, whether it's a grad transfer, whether it's somebody with three or four years left of eligibility that you've seen on tape, that you know have done it at a high high level, you evaluated in high school, and then you're gonna put your numbers towards the high school ranks. But this is going to get real messy before it gets clear. And I think you're going to see a trickle-down effect over the next 12, 15, 18 months as teams try to massage their roster and figure out what are the best ways to build your roster for long-term success. And not everybody's going to benefit, unfortunately.
2: And we're still kind of almost learning as we go, Tommy, because it's kind of new and we're seeing a lot of names go in there. And I think one interesting thing is over 2,200 players have gone into the transfer portal, but only roughly over around 400 have actually found a landing spot at the FBS level. So you're seeing the amount of numbers that go in, but not as many coming out. So I think that some prospects, uh, some college players need to look at that and realize that the grass may not always be greener on the other side. I think it will be very important though, and we've seen it thus far, is for coaches that take over programs. I and mean, they don't have a lot of time to work, especially with the early signing period. There's not a lot in recruiting that translates to the NFL, but I think the transfer portal could almost be like free agency. It could be a great way to fill a hole or two on your roster, but if you go all in and you try to redo your program through the transfer portal, I don't think you're gonna have success because Alabama, they're not active in the transfer portal this year. Uh, Ohio State—they're not active in a transfer portal this year. Either is Notre Dame or any of the college football playoff teams. So I think culture matters a lot, and those teams will use it to their benefit, but not
6: in a whole. Well, Craig, there's there's more going in than are coming it was out. Like and there's, anything, there's risk or reward.
0: Are... Tom, go ahead. I'm sorry.
6: Oh, that's okay. I was just going to say there's more going in than are coming out, but there's also more that are going in. I actually looked at the numbers last year compared to this year. From December 1st to January 20th, Uh, for compared to 2019 to this past December there's 340 more players that entered their name in the portal this year than last year and then you look at how teams are using it Penn State had five transfers in this class Oklahoma had five Florida had six and I think a common misconception is that teams need to stay under the 85 total scholarship limit but they also need to stay within 25 initial counters transfers count so they're taking up spots that high school recruits could have taken as well
1: yeah, and Tom, uh, the initial counter that you mentioned is so critical because what the NCAA is not doing is they're not allowing you to replace that initial counter. When you sign on as initial counter, and let's just say two years from now, six guys leave your program, okay, they still count against your 85 and your 25 of initial counters. It doesn't go with the player to the next school. And you don't. if you use another initial counter, then it counts out of your bank and that is why this thing is going to get very, very interesting down the stretch in terms of just figuring out how are you going to do the math and, and make it all work. Not to mention, you've got the APR involved. That's going to be another area that still has yet to be completely addressed. So I, I, this is something that fascinates me because it's, it's muddy right now. And the teams that I think do the best job of evaluating not the player in the portal, the person that's in the portal, why is he there? you have to scrutinize that heavily so that you don't make a mistake from an initial counter standpoint and from a roster management standpoint
0: you're absolutely right and although there are exceptions i don't, I don't think it's a total coincidence that these top programs these top recruiting classes aren't leaning on this heavily anyway, uh, at least not right now. There's a reason for that. Uh, We'll talk to Ohio State head coach Ryan Day. Speaking of marquee programs, currently the number two recruiting class, or at least it's four o'clock Eastern. Uh, He'll join us to talk about what's next spring football and the advantage of having so many of his new players already on campus. Plus, we'll hit on the highs and lows of the ACC classes with ACC Network's EJ Manuel when our signing day special continues. Right out of central casting, Jack Sawyer, a six foot five, 230 pound defensive end from Ohio, has been committed to Ohio State since February. He planned to enroll in Columbus in January, he took off his senior season, and he is now on campus, part of a tremendous recruiting class for the Buckeyes. The number one overall prospect heading to Ohio State for the second straight year. It's the first time in the ESPN 300 era, the number one player has gone to the same school in consecutive classes. Ohio State head coach Ryan Day joins us now, although likely needs very little introduction given the season you had. Coach, first of all, congratulations, and I know you're already back at work. Uh, You know, for the second straight year, the top recruit headed to Columbus. What has that meant, and does it continue to mean for your program to have this success in recruiting?
7: Yeah, it's been a strange year for us, uh, the way that things have gone down, but it's an exciting year. Uh, we have a lot of guys who uh, we're very, very excited about in this class. It's, it's not just about the fit uh, you know, on the field, but it's also off the field and making sure that all these guys uh, fit culturally. And this is a special group. We started off early on with uh, Jack Sawyer on defense and Kyle McCord on offense, and then it just built from there. And uh, we're very, very excited about our future here.
0: And both of those players, Coach, if I understand correctly, are among the 15 out of 21 who are already on campus and will have the opportunity to participate in what you do this spring. What type of advantage is it to go ahead and get those guys on campus?
7: Yeah, it's been huge. Uh, you know, the guys started working out. And, uh, you know, it just gives them a head start. They get seven weeks before spring ball starts to get get going physically and, and uh, you know, with their strength and power and just get acclimated with our strength and conditioning program, and then um, allows them 15 practices in the spring as, as they they get ready. Um, you know everything's new when you first show up, and you know going through the spring as they head into the fall, you know nothing's new anymore. Now they've gone through and they've been here for six months, and they can uh, put themselves in a better position to get on the field in the fall.
0: You know, speaking of new coach, whether it's the transfer portal or the early signing day in December. You know, this day has changed a little bit in terms of what it was maybe, say, five years ago. So where is your program now or your roster, if you will? Do you have holes still to fill? Uh, Where are you today in terms of the team we'll see on the field in September?
7: Yeah, we we have most of the team here. There's only just a few that sign that will come in the summer. Uh, But in terms of uh, how many spots we have left and all that, it's such a strange thing because... Of the way that uh, you know this past year went with COVID, so uh, we have a number that's a little bit higher than we're normal uh, a normal year would have. But uh, but we think that as we as we head into uh, you know head into the summer that that uh, you know they'll have a spot or, or maybe even two available based on based on what happens. But uh, it, it's funny because you know there's guys on the team that are on scholarship that actually don't count in our scholarship numbers because of the way that uh, everyone got an extra year. So. Uh, But the good news is we got 15 of these guys here that typically we get in the the summer. So uh, a good portion of our team is already together.
0: Well, that's good news. And I know it may be a new normal, but also good news, what we hope will be a somewhat normal spring and maybe summer as we look forward to next season. Coach, best of luck. We look forward to watching. Thank you so much. Well, again, if you take a look now at the ESPN 300, top overall players right there at the top already now on campus, as you heard, in Columbus is Jack Sawyer. Again, these are the top five according to the ESPN 300. And one of those, though, uh, JT, uh, remains unsigned. Again, today, National Signing Day, we've had some previous opportunities. We continue to wait. Uh, Craig, uh, what do you make of this?
2: Well, it just really takes us Back to our initial discussion, Wendy, about the pandemic, you know, we've been in a dead period since the really almost an entire year, and he has not had the opportunity to get everywhere that he would like to get. He has a top five. Three of those are West Coast schools, Oregon, Washington, and USC. Obviously, he has some familiarity with them from a regional standpoint. He had been on Alabama's campus at one point when he was younger, but he has not yet had a chance to get to Columbus. I think had he decided to sign today, I think that would have been a good sign for Alabama. You, you know, there's a lot of buds for them and Ohio State kind of leading the pack there. But I think it's good for Ohio State that he actually decided to wait and would like to try to get an opportunity to take a visit there. Now, it still may be unofficial because we don't know how long this dead period is going to continue. Tommy, right now it's April 15th, so there's still some things to be decided. But I don't really blame him for waiting to try and want to get the facts. And whoever does get
1: him, they're getting a difference maker. This is the true meaning of a jumbo athlete. Yeah, yeah, there, there's no doubt about it. And I, I think to the some of the points we made earlier, let's just say that things don't work out. They don't lift the dead period. He doesn't get away and get on an unofficial visit. And he ends up signing with the team that essentially virtually recruited him, all right? And really signs with the team where you have a, a, an online conversation or relationship with the coach. That just further proves the point that relationships and resources matter as much as they ever have in this particular instance of the recruitment of this young man. Because if you don't get him on campus and you don't have that face-to-face interaction, that's all you're relying on. So who does the best job in that area of a virtual relationship and a virtual presentation of their program? And let's just say he never gets on campus, that will be a remarkable recruiting haul for whoever that may be.
0: Yeah and Luke's you know, I think it was you who made the point uh, the point earlier that we might see some buyers' remorse on, on the side of players, on the side of coaches. Look, you can't blame anybody for at least hoping they'll be able to get some more information. I don't right. I don't envy these guys trying to figure this out in the current climate. Uh, Let's take a look now at where the ACC stands. I showed you earlier what the SEC has done, and that's certainly been a tremendous effort. They continue to be a powerhouse in recruiting. It's not a big surprise. The ACC has six schools ranked in the top 25 of the 2021 recruiting classes. Clemson, again, no surprise, the number one class in the ACC. EJ Manuel joins us this afternoon. Greg McElroy back with us. And EJ, it seems only right to start with your alma mater. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Florida State. Of course, the players that are moving on, which translates into holes they have to fill, uh, as well as their signing class as it's rounding out today.
8: Yeah, well, Wendy, I think the first thing is obviously they have a great class coming in. It's not what you're used to seeing at Florida State with a bunch of five- and four-star guys. It seems like Clemson's kind of cleaning up in that category in the ACC, but when you talk about the guys they have in the transfer portal, even just coming over as, you know, fifth-year scenes, you talk about the quarterback McKenzie Milton. The UCF quarterback, he hurt his knee in 2017, excuse me, 2018, uh, but 2017 he was a 4,000-yard passer. 37 touchdowns, nine interceptions. so I think he's a guy that's truly special. And then you talk about Jermaine uh, Johnson, the defensive end coming over from Georgia, a guy that can really make plays, getting out the quarterback, 6'6", 250, 250 pounds, and he has a true motor. And then, again, uh, the running back in D.J. Williams, a guy that is truly just a special running back. I think somebody like him could come over and make a huge impact at Florida State. Uh, I think one of the biggest areas for them is trying to get that run game going outside of the quarterback. You saw it in Jordan Travis last year, run the ball a lot but I think they would rather him stay in the pocket and and try to conserve his body a little more.
3: And I think the biggest thing, EJ, for Florida State, they've had a lot of talent over the years, but the one thing they haven't had is a really close-knit locker room. It's been a long time since I've called a Florida State team where there wasn't finger-pointing, arguments, fights in some cases on the sideline. I want to see character builders, and I know we all focus on the stars and who's got this and who's got that, But did Florida State go out and get guys that come from a winning culture in high school and at the college level? Yes. And I think that is something that's really encouraging for Florida State fans as they move forward.
0: Let me ask you about what Mack Brown and the UNC Tar Heels are doing.
8: Yeah, well, Coach Brown has done a tremendous job, Wendy and Greg. I think one of the biggest things he's done is lock down the state of North Carolina. Uh, I think he has nine of the top 20 players uh, in the state and these guys are just truly special i mean you talk about the defensive ends these guys that can get after the quarterback and obviously you have sam howell coming back on the offensive side but how are they going to respond when they lose a the production at running back you lose uh, michael carter you lose javonte williams and then you talk about that receiver you're losing uh daz Newsom, and you're losing deami brown so i think they're going to have to have some guys step up and i certainly think they have a bunch of players in this class, but not to mention the coaches that Coach Brown hired. Uh, you talk about Dre Bly, a guy who played in the NFL for a very long time. Their offensive coordinator, Phil Longo, he does a great job of making sure that he gets, you know, some good recruits that can come in and not just catch the ball for Sam Howell, but even once Sam is gone uh, to get those guys to go out there and make big plays. So you talk about uh, one of the quarterbacks they, they got coming over and Drake May, uh, Greg, I think he was actually committed to Alabama, so I'm sure that broke your heart. But look, Sam Howell broke my heart when he decommitted from Florida State. So I'm excited to see how they come out this year, and I definitely think Coach Brown's only going to get better when they talk about recruiting every year.
3: The biggest challenge for North Carolina was creating loyalty. Because if you look at the state of North Carolina in a population of 10 million and some really good high school football being played, there's seven Division I schools. And there was never really this sense of loyalty. Look, I lived in the Charlotte area and I remember thinking, All right, man, who who are we gonna pull for living here in Carolina? Well pick one, you got seven to choose from. And I think that's what Mac Brown's done. You referenced it, EJ. He's putting up a fence around the state where everybody used to go in and find the most talented players. He's saying, no, you're no longer leaving the state, and if you want to play football and you want to do so in the Tar Heel State, that's right, Tar Heel State, you're going to do it in North Carolina. So I think he's done a great job of creating awareness and making sure that it's a destination for football players in the state of North Carolina.
0: guys thank you coming up he's still settling in in austin texas head coach steve sarkeesian joins us to talk about his first experience on national signing day talk out right out of central casting with a name like jackson dart you know he's got to be a quarterback and he is the pride of utah the number 15 pocket passer in the ESPN 300 will stay out west in fact he'll go farther west to USC. Uh, Luke let's talk a little bit about that because historically there's been an effort on these on these west schools to keep these guys out there. Uh, Jackson will play his college football at USC. What do you make of their efforts in that class?
1: Uh, simply remarkable when you base it off of what took place over the last two years and actually that graphic is wrong. He's a, he's a top 20 overall player at quarterback for us. Uh, we think he had the best quarterback performance uh, of any quarterback in this class. And if the state of Utah had decided not to play, his recruitment probably not would not have ended up where it did. I think when you look at USC, the number one thing that you have to point to is the investment and the changes that were made administratively on behalf of Clay Helton and the athletic department to invest in football resources. Being USC is no longer good enough. Uh, it, it, it doesn't matter anymore. If you're gonna have to outwork people, you're gonna have to have the bells and whistles, you're gonna have to go the extra mile. That means staffing, that means recruiting fundamentals and, and, and resources within your building that I think USC was sorely lacking. When they made that investment and they made some staff changes that I think really upgraded their, their recruitment uh, prior to the pandemic, but then even through the pandemic is when you really certainly started to see things change.
6: Yeah, and Tom, one of those staff changes was bringing in Dante Williams from Oregon, who has a ton of ties in California, and he is a huge part of this new philosophy and this new strategy this year of Take Back the West, trying to keep the top West Coast prospects in this class. And you mentioned how bad it's been. Last year, they had the number 54 ranked class overall. Now this year, a top 15 class. And I actually got the chance to talk to Clay Helton about this last year, and he said it started with him and he needed to make an effort and now he's changed his philosophy if a recruit wants to talk to him he answers right away he also changed how he views recruiting and you're right personnel but also philosophy and how they're going about their business now it's been a huge change for usc
0: well listen we spoke earlier about mac brown locking down if you will the state of north carolina and then usc trying to do the same thing not not the same state uh, but keeping people close to to their, to their where they are. Uh, we're happy to have with us now, uh, we're going to look first at Texas and their signing class. Of course, they've had a change at the top with new head coach Steve Sarkisian. You can see, uh, keep in mind that a lot of these players, 18, were already in place before Sark got to Austin. Uh, nevertheless, a big day for the Texas Longhorns program. Happy to have with us this afternoon the new head man in Austin, Coach Steve Sarkisian. And, Coach, uh, we'll get to today and what it means for your program. But since we haven't talked uh, since you were formally introduced, I have to first ask what these first few weeks on the job have been like.
9: They've been great. You know, I I thought we did a – thank you again, too, Wendy. But uh, I thought we did a nice job hiring a staff that um, I'm excited about. It's got a, a great deal of experience, championship quality, predigree. Uh, really developmental coaches, great great recruiters. So that was a big focal point. And then getting in with our current team and our current roster and getting around those guys and starting the process of the offseason program uh, and getting ourselves prepared for spring ball down the road. So uh, it's been tremendous. Uh, obviously got welcomed uh, with open arms when I got to Austin and uh, it's been a great experience so far.
0: Today is different across the country for, you know, so many obvious reasons. In your case in particular, you come in as a new head coach and you already have 18 scholarship spots filled. So a little bit of a different day. What, what has today been like for the Texas program?
9: Well, you know, what we did is we really tried to get in and as, as quickly as we could analyze our current roster and our current roster management. And then we tried to fill in those next 18, I think it's actually 19, I apologize, 19 kids that signed in December and where they fit on the roster. And then we tried to dig into, okay, where are real needs on the roster here moving forward? So we ended up bringing in four kids uh, to join the team here today. Uh, But it also, what it did, we left ourselves a little bit of a wiggle room. Uh, In this day and age of college football with the transfers and the transfer portal, um, we, we try to make sure we gave ourselves a little bit of wiggle room, maybe coming out of spring ball with some potential needs and then some things that might be happening around the country uh, so that we'd be able to maneuver uh, maybe coming out of spring ball as well.
0: I tell you what, I think spring ball are two words every college football fan, every fan really want to hear right now, given uh, what transpired in the fall. Do you anticipate, Coach, uh, and I use the word relatively, uh, the operative word there, a relatively normal spring practice?
9: Well, I I do. I I do anticipate us having spring practice. I I don't know um, if we'll get to having the spring games like we've all been been so accustomed to having over the past decade or so and the fanfare and all those types of things. But I do think uh, we will be able to practice and we will be able to kind of get our systems and and schemes in place and and learn our players and get on the field and work. Um, But maybe, you know, I don't don't know what's going to happen at the end when people are starting to have the spring games or how some people have some open practices throughout spring. Those will be the question marks, but I do think spring practice uh, will definitely occur.
0: Look, we're moving in the right direction, and we certainly hope Texas is as well. Coach, we look forward to watching, and best of luck. Thank you, Wendy. Coming up, we'll put a bow in the 2021 recruiting season. You're watching College Football Live National Signing Day Special. Also, plenty of college hoops on deck Thursday. A big one in the Big Ten. Number seven, Ohio State. Winners of three straight and Luke Garza. Number eight, Iowa. It all goes down at 7 o'clock Eastern on ESPN and, of course, the ESPN app. Super Bowl 55, live from Tampa, Florida. We are counting down the days now. Tom Brady and the Bucks, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, 6.30 Eastern, live also on ESPN Deportes, uh, coming up Sunday. 6 30 Eastern alright guys it's been a busy day on the college football landscape uh, there's no question a lot of these guys will eventually be playing in the NFL some of them will play in their own Super Bowl uh, but let's put a bow on this if you will uh, on what has been the end or, or almost the end of an incredibly different kind of recruiting season Greg I'll start with you
3: what I thought would happen this recruiting cycle is that it would become more about geography than anything else. And that was almost the opposite. It's pretty remarkable to see the programs like Alabama and Clemson and Notre Dame and all these other programs continue to prioritize a national mentality when it comes to putting together their class. I thought because of COVID and the limitations that we'd have from visits and being able to get on planes and interact with coaches, the guys would stay close to home. That's not the case. Guys are actually flocking towards places that have had pretty impressive runs of success. So I've been really surprised by that aspect of the recruiting because I thought for sure it was going to become more regional this year in 2020 and 2021 than it has been in the last few.
1: Yeah, you know, Greg, it's interesting. We, we had Sark on just a few moments ago. And I remember when he was at SC and, and we, were, we were talking recruiting one year and, and we were talking about national recruiting. He said, you know what? We only leave this footprint if we think somebody's going to be a first-rounder. And it kind of falls in line with what you just said about what an Alabama is doing and a Clemson is doing, and Ohio State casting that, that wide net. And, and, it, and it's so true. I think the one takeaway that I have is the, the phenomenal job that first-year coaches in their first calendar year... Mike Norvell at Florida State, all right, top almost the top 25 class. Sam Pittman at Arkansas sitting there at number 21 right now. Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. Doing all of that without your normal uh, blueprint uh, to execute your recruiting profile, It's, it's remarkable what they've done.
2: Speaking of remarkable, Tom, I think sometimes when you're in the midst of something, you don't take a step back and appreciate what it is. And the more I think about what Nick Saban has done in Alabama, seven number one classes. I mean, we we're talking about the greatest college football coach ever and with that the recruiter not only players that go on to the NFL but coaching staff changes and he continues in the middle of a pandemic he's still able to adjust and put together a number one class I, I don't think you know sometimes you got to appreciate in the moment what's going on and I think it's been really impressive what he's been able to do and and the other thing is we're not done yet we still got the five-star JT E Mola to announce as well so 2021 class will drag into the spring a little bit.
0: The good news about JT not signing yet is that we get a lot more time to practice his last name, although it just rolled off your tongue pretty smoothly there. Uh, Again, let's take one last look at the class rankings, and I think you're absolutely right, Craig. Uh, And we made this point earlier. It is one thing to build a program. That's hard enough, but then to sustain it. For the long term, the way Nick Saban has done at Alabama is just tremendous. Uh, Luke, before we go, let me ask you this. I mean, the rankings are what they are, and they're there for a reason. It means some incredible top talent uh, are headed to these respective schools. But other than just that, is is there a, a class or a program that stood out to you uh, today or over the last uh, month or so of recruiting?
1: Well, I, I think, you know, I mentioned a few on the back end of the top 25, but how can you not talk about USC in this cycle when you consider where they were? You know, you go back to, la- and not just in the last month, in the last year. I mean, Arizona State, Oregon, Washington, Cal, everybody was beaten. SC, and then SC flips it and turns it around and, and ends with a, with a sensational class.
0: I tell you what, guys, hope springs eternal. We say that for a reason. This is a big day for a lot of these athletes now, college athletes and their families. And it's always an exciting day for college football. We appreciate you being with us. It'll be a lot of fun to watch these guys on Saturday. And we will be back tomorrow to talk about uh, what's...